0: Mark chapter 11 it says that as they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage at Bethany, uh, there the Mount of Olives there, uh, just to give you a geographical, uh, uh, you know, kind of option there, uh, a picture, It's ve- this is a very, very uh, tight quarters area that we're talking about. When you think of the Mount of Olives, how many of you are thinking like Mount Everest? He's coming down this giant mountain. He's coming off a foothill. And... Um, what you have here is, is, say you were a good ways, close to the Blue Mountains. There, um, you could. What what would happen is you'd take a half a day just to go over and from, if you were in Jerusalem just to walk over down the ridge and come right back up and hike up the Mount of Olives. Well, on top of the Mount of Olives there would be these two little cities, Bethany. I'm sorry, Bethpage and Bethany, and this is where Lazarus uh, was raised from the dead. This is where Mary and Martha lived. This is where Mary would, in this last week of Christ's life here, would anoint him with oil, would would break that spikenard and and, and anoint him and, and anoint his feet and wash his feet with her her hair. Um, so, uh, very very close quarters. Many people that they knew were there, and um, like I was saying if you ever get a chance to go to Israel, just brings it all together there. Because you're standing here on the Mount of Olives, and it goes down, obviously. Um, There's some graves and things, because all the prophets were buried up there. It goes down into the Kidron Valley, and it comes right back up, and you have the east gate of Jerusalem right there. It's called the King's Gate. And uh, one day... Jesus is going to touch down on that thing. He's going to split right open. He's going to walk right into that city. And uh, that's going to be amazing. Um, but it just, uh, as you're sitting there on the Mount of Olives, off to the right, as you're looking down into the city, off to the right there is, is the Garden of Gethsemane, uh, where he would weep. And just a small, further away, is where the garden, uh, the place where he was buried. And so uh, Calvary was right there. It's just all such tight quarters. All these places, uh, they just uh, compact in this one little place. So when you see Jesus in this chapter is moving in and out of the city, it's not like he's traveling from here to Milton Freewater. Um, he's just—I uh, mean, it's more like from here to Milton Freewater, back and forth. It's really close, as opposed to tri cities or something like that. So uh, keep in mind that all this is a very tight place. And so, as they approached Jerusalem, they came to this uh, Bethpage, Bethany, and Mount of Olives. And Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, "Verse two: Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you why are you doing this, say the Lord needs it, and we'll send it back here shortly." They went and found a colt outside in the street, tied at a doorway. And as they untied it, some people standing there asked, What are you doing untying the colt? And they answered as Jesus had told them, and the people had let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus, they threw their cloaks over it, and he sat on it. Now, many of you people who raise and know horses know that this is quite, quite amazing already. How many of you ridden, un, sat on an untamed animal? Yeah, that's fun. Jesus obviously doesn't have any issues with this type of thing. He could tell the cult to do whatever it wants. So when they brought the cult to Jesus, they threw their cloaks over and he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and followed and shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Blessed is the coming King of our father, David! Hosanna in the highest heaven. We've now entered the last week of Jesus' ministry here on earth. Uh, this week is in, in Scripture, uh, you know, we kind of call it the Passion Week, the week of Passion. Uh, this day was prophesied in the Old Testament. If you flip over to Daniel chapter 9, verse 24, well, I'll do it real quickly over here. Wow, that was amazing. Didn't even have my bookmark and went there. Uh, uh, daniel chapter nine verse twenty four it says seventy sevens are decreed for your people and your holy city to finish transgressions to put an end to sin to atone for wickedness to bring an everlasting uh, righteousness to seal up a vision and prophecy to anoint the most holy no one understand this from the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild the uh, rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one. The ruler who comes there will be seventy sevens and seventy two sevens. It will be rebuilt with the streets, a trench, but in times of trouble. And after sixty two sevens, the anointed one will be cut off. Um, All the way back there in Daniel talks about a time in the future when the anointed one would come right into Jerusalem and be cut off. And one of these uh, amazing scholarly type people, you know, according to the Babylonian calendar, took the 70s, 27s, and all that stuff and mapped it out to the day. And to that day, Jesus walked in on riding in on a colt. Now, whether Jesus knew that or not, all the math, who knows? But uh, what he says happens. We know that. And they walked in and they were crying, Hosanna. Hosanna. Lord save. Lord save. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming king of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. They were waiting and expecting the king to come. Many times before in other places, they had tried to already make him their physical king, but Jesus said, my time has not come yet. Now Jesus is openly declaring that he is the Messiah. Messiah. Sitting upon a colt, riding into the city of Jerusalem, where he had had a death warrant for him, going into the hornet's nest. Jesus knew that his time has come. He was following his father's wishes, a man of prayer, constantly asking, Lord, what do I do? Where do I go? What would bring you Glory. And now, to fulfill this prophecy, he gets on the colt, and he begins to walk into Jerusalem, and the people around him are excited, and they're crying out, Hosanna! Crying out out of Psalm 118. It's a messianic psalm. It says, The stone that the builders reject has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. The Lord has done this this very day. Let us rejoice and be glad. Verse 25 of Psalm 118. Lord, save us. Hosanna. Lord, grant us success. That when the king comes in, they're expecting this overthrow of the Roman government. Finally, our oppression is over. Finally, we get to be on top. Yeah. They had it all wrong. And Jesus even told his disciples several times I'm going to die. This time, I'm riding in on a donkey. Which means the King of Peace. You know, or he's coming in on a cold. Next time he's coming in on a war horse to clean house. We await that day when he comes back, and we're praying that God's mercy and his message would flow through us to the dying people in this world. The people lost in their sin who need a saviour. Lord save us that that day will come when His grace ends, when His patience ends, when it's done. No more. I've had enough. And He will come with His mighty angels. And He will touch down and clean house. And it's a scary day for those who have not called upon the name of Jesus to repent and say, Lord, save me. But this time He came as a suffering servant. Knowing that at any time he could clean house if he wanted to. He could speak and these people would turn to nothing. But he held that inside for the will of the Father was to reconcile the world through, this, through his Son. Reconcile. To take that cost, that, that punishment, that sin that we've all committed against God the Father. That we all are in debt to him. We've broken it. We can never pay it back. There's nothing we can ever do to earn it. You can't go to church enough. You can't give enough. You can't do enough good works. You can't be a good guy. The Bible declares our righteousness is as filthy rags, shop rags. And it gets worse. And he sent his precious son, Jesus Christ. In humility to come down to go through what he's about to go through this week because he loves you. Why? I have no clue. You know? I just look at myself every day and I go, Lord, why? It must be for his glory that he would send someone so innocent and so powerful and amazing to be humble, to become a baby, and to live that life, to go and to die on my behalf, that I might go free. Amazing love. Wow. So here Jesus, fulfilling prophecy, he lays down, uh, they're laying down these, these uh, garments before him and crying out, and he doesn't deny it. Zechariah 9.9 says, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Prophesied years before, hundreds of years before, coming to fruition on this day. In verse 11, Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts. And he looked around at everything. But since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Jesus looks around. Jesus comes in. He looks around the temple. He assesses things. You know our God assesses situations. If you go back in Genesis chapter, uh, Jesus, Genesis chapter 19 and 18, when the issue of Sodom and Gomorrah comes and the three visitors, the, three, you know, the two angels and I think the epiphany of Jesus Christ comes down and they meet Abraham. He says, shall I hide from my servant Abraham what I'm about to do? And he goes in and he, and he says there, verse 20 says, the, the Lord said the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sin is so grievous that I will go down and see if what they have done is bad, as bad as the outcry has reached me. If not, I will know. He's an assessor. And as he comes into Jerusalem, he looks at things. No doubt he went into the temple again, looked around, went back up on the Mount of Olives. I wonder what that night was like for him. I wonder how broken inside he was when he saw what should have been, what could have been, and what was. How far the people were from him, how far the leaders of those people, the religious leaders, had hardened their hearts towards God. And now he knew what had to happen. And he's sitting there that night. And that Sunday. The next day, Monday, as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf he went to find out if it had any fruit when he reached it he found nothing but leaves because it was not the season for figs now when you go over to israel there are some things called the first first fruit figs they have fig trees that have figs before the season happens perhaps he was looking for these i don't i don't know but the fig tree is a type of israel in the bible we see that several times And the thing that I think is is kind of of a picture here, can be, just take it for what it's worth, is that he was looking for fruit. It had leaves. It had the appearance of being a fruit-giving tree. But it didn't. There wasn't the fruit there. As he inspected it, as he looked at it, he said, there's nothing there. If you remember... The parable. I believe of the husbandman. There was a person who left a vineyard in charge of these people, and he went and sent servants back to this place and said, Hey, you know, we'd like to collect on this. We'd like to you know gather some fruit. And they killed them. Representing the prophets. And then they sent some more people. And they killed them. He goes, I'm going to send my own son and come and take the matters into hand they sent his own sand and they killed him and Jesus is telling this parable to the Pharisees he says, what do you think would happen to those guys says, well the Lord is going to come and he's going to kill them he's Well, that's right you're those people and so as the Lord is looking for fruit in Israel he sees none there's an appearance of godliness but the heart is far from him And so, then he said to it, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. And on reaching Jerusalem, verse 15, Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those who were selling doves and would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. Jesus came into that situation. He saw the temple the night before. He came in and realized what was going on. He came and he overturned the money changers and those selling doves. There were money changers in the temple that if you wanted to give your offering to the Lord, you got paid in Roman coins. Roman coins are Gentile coins and they are unclean. So therefore, you had to come into the temple, you had to exchange those Roman coins for the temple coin or the Jewish shekel, no doubt for a very hefty exchange rate. And the priests and the money changers were making merchandise off the people. They were taking advantage of them. They were Taking their goodwill, their intent to worship towards God, and making a profit off of it. And Jesus sees this and it lights him up. And he is furious. And he comes in and he turns that over and he just gets upset and he sees the people who are selling doves. The doves, if you read in the Old Testament, they were a sacrifice for the poor. You didn't have enough money, you, you wouldn't be able to buy you know, a ram or goat, you just had to go buy a dove, and you could buy one for 50 cents on the street. You'd bring that into to the, uh, the priests, and what would happen? They'd look at it and they'd say, you know, oh, this is blemished, you need to buy one of our kosher doves for five bucks. And no questions asked, of course, what was going on with those doves. This is what was going on in the temple of God. And Jesus gets angry and he comes in. He overturns the table of the money changers and benches of those selling. And he would not allow anyone to carry merchandise to the temple courts. Do you know where they set up these shops? They set them up in the outer courts. There were the outer courts where Gentiles and women could gather to worship. They were not allowed in the inner courts where the Jews were allowed. There was a separation. They would set up all these things where they were supposed to be able to come and worship God, Gentiles. That's where they set them up. How convenient. And what does Jesus say? Is it not written? Verse 17 My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations but you have made it a den of robbers, a den of thieves. That's interesting there. This is the second time that Jesus has cleansed the temple. The first was at the beginning of his his ministry, and and now this is at the end of his ministry. Cleansing the temple. I look at the church today, and I don't want to pass judgment, but boy, how we definitely can take advantage of people's desires to worship God and make a buck off of it Jesus is not happy about that yo you know if you just give your ten thousand dollars then the Lord will you know bless you with this and that taking advantage of people their intent their good intent to worship God and extorting them you know I'm care you know even in my own heart I, I watch these things I go Man, what about these marketing campaigns and all the things we get into? We've got to be careful. What is the motive for these things? Are we, are we causing people to you know, be blocked from, from experiencing God? Because if so, I, I don't want my table to get turned over. Do you? Lord Jesus, if someone's coming to you, let me be a conduit. Let me be an, an enhancer. Let me be someone who just says, here he is, go for it. Let me get out of the way. He's someone who would point people to him and encourage them in him. Not try to make a buck off of him. And it's sad. And notice verse 17, as he taught them. Notice how he teaches them. Is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. Sometimes teaching is not nice to your ears. Sometimes it hurts, and it's offensive, and it's a rebuke. As we read in 2, uh, 2 Timothy 3.16, I think, you know what the Word of God is profitable for. This is one of the things for correction. Jesus is correcting. It's supposed to be a house of prayer for all nations. And notice the emphasis of God's house there was a house of prayer. Are we gathering to pray that's why we put emphasis in this church in prayer we come in the sunday mornings and yes when we gather together we want to make sure that we are praying to the lord through our worship through praying in prayer requests through being able to pray afterwards through the bible studies that we have every opportunity that we have to get together we we want to lift up the lord in prayer we want to seek his face it is a priority of Jesus to be in prayer. And so we too want to be about His priorities. Are His priorities a priority in my life? As we read Scripture, are the things that break His heart breaking ours? Are the things that He desires that way? God prescribes for us to pray, be people of prayer. So what do we do? That's how He says He is to be approached. If God says to sing, we sing. If God says to pray, we pray. If God says that we jump up 50 feet, we jump up 50 feet. We're His people. We don't worship God the way that we feel good. We worship, the God, we worship God the way that He prescribes through us in Scripture. The way that He says worship is acceptable with a broken spirit and a contrite heart, first of all. Those are the things that I struggle with. You know, easy to get up here and yeah, this is what the Bible says and all that stuff. But inside, as their fruit, or am I all leaves? You know, how many of you struggling with the same stuff? <laughs> all right, two of us. That's good. <laughs> I just want to make sure there. Am I alone? In verse eighteen. After he said, "You have made it a den of robbers." The chief priests and the teachers of the law heard this and began looking for a way to kill him, for they had feared him, because the whole crowd was amazed at his teaching and doctrine. Notice they had feared him, and that fear in their heart caused uh, brought up what was already in there—murder. Murder was in their hearts. These priests had murder in their hearts. Isn't oh, those great guys to get involved with? The whole crowd was amazed at his teaching or doctrine. When evening came, Jesus and his disciples went back out of the city. And in the morning, which is Tuesday, as they went along, and we call it Super Tuesday, because there's a lot that goes on on this day, most of which Mark does not uh, record. They saw the fig tree withered from the roots. And Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Hey, Rabbi, teacher, look, the fig tree, you cursed, it's withered. And Jesus uses this opportunity to speak about praying and faith. In verse 22, Have faith in God, Jesus answered, Truly, I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, Now listen up, church. This is awesome. This is for us. This is for you to go, Yeah, I claim this. You know, maybe even TBN-like. Just listen. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. Truly I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, Go, throw yourself into the sea, and does not doubt in their heart, but believes that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. Awesome! Now, prerequisite. Who is he talking to? who are they? Oh, disciples. So what constitutes a disciple? Three things right off the bat. Deny yourself. Pick up your cross and follow me. So the uh, hitting the lotto thing. Denying self. Lord, give me the Maserati. Give me the, you know, the Bentley. Uh, do you think these things are probably not within his will? You know, these, these guys have been following Jesus. They, they love him. They've given up their lives. They're, they're, they're struggling with him. They're going with him. They're learning. They're laying down their lives. They're learning. Lord, do you want me to go left or right? And Oh, man, I messed up. I put my foot in my mouth again. But here we go. They're following after him with all their heart. Those are the guys. Those are the gals. That Jesus says, ask anything in my name and I'm going to give it to you. Because we're going to be praying according to whose will. You want to see things get done in the kingdom. Be a disciple of Jesus Christ and start asking your Father for these things and you are going to see miracles happen every single day in your life. You're going to see resources pulled in from nowhere. we are going to see God do amazing things in the lives of people, as we have His heart in ours and as we're praying according to His will. That sounds boring from the flesh, but that doesn't make me excited. It excites you like crazy when you're a disciple of Jesus Christ. You hunger and you thirst for these things and you pray for people and God breaks through and you're going, yes! And you see these answers to prayer and you attribute it to knowing that there's a connection between the Father saying, ask, come to me for those resources. And then you ask, and he does it, and you get excited. You know that relationship is happening. And it fuels you all the more to go forward in him. How many of you have experienced that? How many of you long for that? Deny yourself. Pick up your cross and follow Jesus Christ today. Me too. Let's do that together. Let's see what God can do in these impossible circumstances in our lives. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. Truly, I tell you, if anyone says this mountain, throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in their heart, but believes what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. Awesome promise. Now, another catch. Verse 25. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them, so that your Father in heaven may forgive your sins. And uh, Matthew, I think, says, uh, If you do not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. Well, where is grace? I don't know. All I know is this is what it says. And if Jesus says it, I don't need to worry about grace and all this stuff. I just need to do it. I just need to forgive from my heart. If anyone has anything against anyone else, Jesus says to forgive them. Or else your Father in heaven will not forgive you. Not my words, Jesus Christ's words. Deal with Him. So, the question is, do you have some business to attend to? Do you think there's a hindrance in your prayer life? Are there some things going on that perhaps need to be dealt with. Don't deny the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. Let it flow. Forgiveness. If you can't forgive others, how can God entrust you with the ministry of reconciliation? How does that flow? The very thing he's called us to be is a reflection of God. God is a forgiving God. He forgives the wickedness of sin, the horribleness of sin. Even Jesus on the the cross, what did he cry out? Lord, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Crying for mercy upon these people, even when they've nailed him and mocked him and spit him and scourged him and all these types of things, pulled out his beard. Forgive them. The heart of God is forgiveness. Those people who have deeply wounded you in your life, deeply wounded you, wounded you, get alone with the Lord. Find some time, work it out, forgive from the heart. Obviously, that doesn't mean that we let these people run all over our lives. There are boundaries, but the Lord calls us to forgive. From our hearts. Forgive, so that your Father in heaven may forgive your sins. Verse 27, and ending, they arrived again in Jerusalem. While Jesus was walking in the temple courts, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders came to him. By what authority are you doing these things? They asked. And who gave you the authority to do this? And Jesus replied, I will ask you one question. Answer me and I will tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. I love this. (laughs) John's baptism. Was it from heaven or from human origin? Tell me. They discussed it among themselves and said, If we say from heaven, he will ask, then why don't you believe him? Believe John, that is. But if we say of human origin, they feared the people. For everyone held John You know, they thought that John was really a prophet. And so they answered Jesus, we do not know. And Jesus said, neither will I tell you by what authority I'm doing these things. (laughs) Amen. (laughs) I love Jesus. He's just awesome. He doesn't have to throw his neck out there when he doesn't want to. You know, be wise in your dealings with people who are your adversaries. You know, be wise. There's a time to stand and there's a time to back down. There's a time to be wise, okay? Let's pray together.